Before the start of this episode, I wanted to tell you about another podcast that I am producing for my friend Aisha. It's called the Botanica Podcast. I wonder what she thinks of that pronunciation. But anyway, <laughs> uh, here's a trailer for the podcast. You can subscribe to it uh, anywhere you get your podcast, just like ours. Here it is. Welcome to the Botanica Podcast. This is your host, Aisha. Listen in as we discuss topics like love, health, sex, relationships, and even alternative medicine. We stream live every Sunday at 8 on Facebook. Listen to the Botanica Podcast on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to stop by our Botanica every Sunday. We have a lot to share. By the time you hear this podcast, you'll be looking for a higher love. Think about it. There must be a higher love. Down in the heart or hidden in the stars above. Without it, life is a wasted time. Look inside your Welcome to, by the time you hear this podcast, I'm Greg. I'm Ben. And we are finally back with a new episode. Whoop, whoop. What's up? <laughs> this is episode 169. Uh, I got nothing as far as the significance of that number. I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to everyone who's listened so far. If you're looking at the live stream, you can see where to find us. Uh, follow us on social media. Uh, rate our podcasts. You can do it on Spotify now. On Spotify. Five leave time. a five-star review. Five stars, mm -hmm. okay? Five. Yeah. If you leave less than five stars, then we are inclined to believe you are a... Hater. Yes. So, um, actually, <clears throat> hold on. Can I play the sound? Yeah. We're inclined to believe you're a hater. Oh, man. Hate, 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 hate. So I use that for another show. Next one, y'all do that, getting shot. Please believe it. That's a great, those are my favorite, one of my favorites. So leave a five-star rating on Spotify. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcast. Uh, leave us a review. Tell us what you think. Mm -hmm. um, we definitely appreciate it. I don't know about the other rating systems, but anywhere you get your podcast, you can listen to us. And if there is a rating, leave us the highest rating you can possibly leave us. Okay? Because we are the number one music history podcast in the world. 
Please believe that. You want more specifics? We're not giving those to you. So we're the number one music history podcast in the world. Please believe that. All right. <laughs> um, so I'm going to ask you this, Ben, before we get into music news. It's been a while since we've done an yeah. episode. What have you been listening to, man? Um, a lot of podcasts. Um, one I won't name because I feel like it'll um, get me some. Uh, you know what? I'll say it. Forget it. What? I don't care. Um, so I have been listening to this podcast called The Assault on America. <laughs> <laughs> it is made by the same guy, Robert Evans, who's an investigative journalist who made It Could Happen Here, which details what life would be like in America if a civil war broke out. So they did a um, uh, an investigative podcast documentary style on January 6th. It's really good. Um, I've also been listening to MTV's uh, Behind the Music podcast, which feels like it's just oh. like... Them. Is it VH1? Yeah. The same yeah, thing? Same thing. Is it the same narrator? Yeah, be- yeah same guy, same guy. <laughs> um, and then in addition to that, I've been listening to, this is just because it's funny. There's a guy I follow on TikTok who made a series of videos called When You Go Back to the Past and You Bring Some Flavor. And so there's these, it's called Bardcore, but it's Renaissance style music of like Renaissance style covers. Oh, so, yeah, I, I've seen a couple of those. Yeah, yeah. so, like, <laughs> Regulator it was, a really, it was a really good one. But, like, there's he plays all the hip-hop ones. If you go and look into it, they just have all of these albums of Renaissance-style music in just about, like, of any genre you can think of, and it's just it's really funny. Outside of that, I've been listening to a lot of um, rock as well. I haven't been able to – I don't know why. I haven't really been able to listen to anything else. Um I'll try and just and nothing just really happens. It's it's really weird. So, yeah. Okay. Um, Love that cover that you sent me. The Doja Cat celebrity skin cover. Yeah, that's a good cover. Very surprising that she did that. I kind of feel like this generation's not really. I don't know. Like I feel like, do they know who she is? Do they know who Hole is? Yeah, who Hole is? Probably who Courtney not. Love is like definitely not. Like it feels like that's you know, Haley Williams filled that hole. <laughs> No, no pun intended. So it's like you know, and like I don't. Hole, re- hole isn't playing at when we were young. They weren't yeah. playing at that festival. Not <laughs> to mention, like you know, um, is that considered cool? You know, that type of music is. You know, I don't know. It, it's just weird. So, um, I've been listening to um, a lot of older music. Um, but a lot of 80s and 90s. Okay. I've been expanding my um, Sophistapop playlist. <laughs> um, uh, I have another 80s playlist of just 80 songs that, that, I, that I enjoy. Um, and uh, um, also some, some more New Jack Swing, expanding <laughs> that uh, playlist as well. Good so, stuff. Um. Speaking of podcasts uh, and Spotify, I guess, <laughs> a terrible segue, but y'all might know what we're about to talk about. So um, I know it was a couple of weeks ago, maybe a week ago, I know that uh, Neil Young caused a, a, a hubbub yeah. by pulling his music off of Spotify in reaction to, in response to um, them continuing to... Um, it's going to say give Joe Rogan uh, a platform. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> For Joe Rogan continuing to have a, a platform on Spotify 
Um, he has been accused. And I think in some ways, you know, the, the accusations have some some merit. Yeah. Uh, spreading some information about the uh, COVID-19 vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were some. And he's based and a lot of his his. His stance is based on things that, like I said, like a lot of people are going to do this, that whatever information you got from the professionals, as far as like the Dr. Fauci and and, you know, people of that uh, that level of expertise on infectious diseases. (laughs) okay, yeah, you know uh, what they say. If you don't like it, it's like if people don't like it, then they're going to rail against it and then find something that kind of is more tailored to to what Mm -hmm. they want to hear. So there are going to be a lot of videos that people um, will will cite. And it's a guy wearing a tinfoil hat and (laughs) the video has 12 (laughs) views. But he's saying the, the, the vaccine has a chip in it. And the government's just trying to keep track of, you know, when you go to the bathroom. <laughs> confirmation bias, essentially. So, yeah. Um, so a lot of his stuff com- comes from that. And there was he had a guest on his podcast. Yeah. Who was supposed to be a, an expert. And well, it was someone who like kind of challenged what Rogan was saying as mm-hmm. far as um, like I think it was something he found that the vaccine could cause um, myocarditis or endocarditis, some kind of heart uh, heart disease or heart defect mm-hmm. in teens who uh, get yeah. the vaccine. And there was like seven cases of that. Just but he tried to make it seem like <laughs> it was 700 cases out of a thousand or something like that. Mm-hmm. And. They found the article and the, the the guest is like, I I don't think that's um, I think that's it's a pretty rare, a, a mm-hmm. rare I thing to where it's yeah. not, you know, it's they that's a pre-existing condition possibly that was exposed by the vaccine or something like that. Yeah. It's like, but budge. if it's just seven people, like that's not a lot of people to make it like a huge concern mm-hmm. overall. Um but then Rogan kind of switched to, oh, what I I thought I saw this. Well, but the point is, like he tried to make, <laughs> like like took no accountability that you got some bad you got some bad information. Yeah. So um, it's it's stuff like that that can piss someone like Neil Young off. Yeah. <laughs> and Neil <laughs> Young just doesn't. He's old. He doesn't care. He doesn't. Like, he doesn't care. Yeah. Like. The Spotify was just probably something uh, his grandkids told him about yeah. that he could get on like, and hey, you, know. you can, you know, you'll still you'll still make some money off of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but um, if he doesn't want to be associated with um, with the platform, <laughs> then then that's what it is. Yeah. Uh, Joni Mitchell joined him as well. <sighs> that made me um, sad. It's like I just I just found out about you. <laughs> like, I'm just starting to. Uh, I even think they took off Got Till It's Gone by Janet Jackson. Let's see. I want to think I saw that, like, I, was, I had Velvet Rope on or something, and it wasn't there, which is one of the better tracks on the Velvet Rope. A, a phenomenal album, by the it's way. It's still on there. Oh, it is? Okay. It's still on there. Uh, and, but it is true. Johnny Mitchell never lies. I mean, it's... <laughs> but for the most <laughs> part, uh, if it wasn't Joni Mitchell's album, 
like all of Joni Mitchell's albums have been taken off, like her yeah. albums. There's a but, Geffen collection on there, but that's it. Like nothing but, uh, good's on there. The song with Janet Jackson is still on there. The Herbie Hancock album is still on there. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, y'all got that. <laughs> y'all, yeah. y'all have, but if you click on Essential Joni Mitchell, uh, everything's gone. <laughs> Um, I believe India Ari wanted her stuff taken off as well, but yeah. I think she, I think she got to talk to Joe Rogan and they kind of hashed it out. Um, That's interesting. Well, I'd be curious to no, see. No, most of, most of her stuff's gone too. A few songs are on there, but um, the acoustic soul is not on here. That's definitely not on here. Mm. So for the most part, she her stuff is gone as well. Um, but what what do you think of of that as far as you know? Because for me, like, I, there's really nothing Spotify could do, only because they spent a hundred million dollars on. Joe yeah, <laughs> that's a lot of money, and we still don't know if they've recouped their investment. Right. Exactly. So. Um, I don't know how long the contract runs, mm-hmm. how long it's going to take to pay him that $100 million, and then maybe they take him off mm-hmm. um, or they'll consider it or whatever. Or, you know, if he – I don't know if he ever comes around on the on I the think vaccine. what people wanted is something that's not going to happen. And the I think uh, as the Vox with Today Explained and The Daily both did really good podcasts kind of outlining his background and – how he kind of started out as one thing, changed to another. I mean, I think he's basically kind of a textbook libertarian, honestly. But <clears throat> I think it's interesting that they said that, you know, for the this is probably the first time you've seen a company stand up to cancel culture, essentially. Basically, like in most situations, the person that you want canceled has already been canceled. They lost their job. They've, you know, done X, X Y, and Z. He has made video or um, he has made disclaimers in his podcast kind of stating, you know, I, I'll try to have people on who challenge views and stuff like that. So he has done that. But for the most part, like Spotify is not backing down. And I think that I don't know if you can say that something that a billion dollar corporation done is admirable, but I think it's kind of one of those things where. Like we just kind of said, we we don't know. There's there's too much money tied up in this for them to back out right now and get off this ride. Like I know y'all might think that like a hundred million dollars isn't a lot of money because we have billionaires, but hundred million dollars is still a lot of money, especially for a company to just kind of be like, whoops, you know, we gotta part ways with them. I just don't <laughs> think Spotify can really. I just don't think they can afford to do that. And I think, I think this is gonna sound bad. I think it's crazy for people calling for this thing to assume that a company was going to do that. Yeah, I mean, we're we're at a time where if somebody if it's a, if it's a mistake, if someone mm-hmm. messes up um or in this case if someone is having an opinion that is controversial mm-hmm. to say the least, um and because I guess they have so much influence and people can't think for their own. And that's that, and that's uh, kind of what gets me as well because <laughs> I get it. Like you want to, you have to watch out for those people who, like you said, can't think for themselves and take any opinion they hear of a person they respect as law, as like the gospel. 
I'm not going to listen to anything. Or it's hard to like respect <laughs> someone. For me, it, it, this is this is the the big thing for me. It's I guess it's hard for some people to respect someone who isn't famous. Touché. And I, I can feel you there. What I mean is like. You got Dr. Fauci, Mm -hmm. who has become famous over the past couple of years, but how did he become Dr. Fauci and the director of the whatever it is? But he's he's the the head guy about infectious disease. He's the go to guy. A long career of it, too. And he's been the go to guy for a very long time. Look him up in the end. So he knows what's up. He's been doing this for a minute. (laughs) (laughs) He knows what's going on. Okay, he's supposed to be the guy that. When you need that kind of information, you go, you to, go him. to him. But yeah, he's not. but because he's uh, he doesn't have that fame that you want. He's not on TV all the time mm-hmm. like the forty fifth president was, mm-hmm. or kind of is still. Mm-hmm. But it's like because you don't see him all the time. Like him being in front of a camera isn't part of the job description mm-hmm. for him. So it's like because he doesn't have that kind of fame then you can't trust it when he says something. Unfortunately, but what though, about like, like his level of expertise and his career and what he actually does? Like this is this is his job. I mean, unfortunately though, like that has become what it is about nowadays because we're so entranced with, you know, no one gets their their news from reading anymore. It's all about getting your news from a personality. An anchor you know, a, some, a journalist or something like that. I think that's honestly well, yeah, what like, why, like watching the news is should be as far as someone should go with that. As far as like <clears throat> trusting the face of whoever's saying yeah. it. But, um, I mean, yeah, I I watch the Daily Show. I watch mm-hmm. Jimmy Kimmel and Stephen Colbert, and that's where <laughs> I get a lot of because like a lot of the news is depressing. Yeah, and if there's some jokes sprinkled in there. <laughs> You know, have you seen that movie? Up, um, don't look up. I haven't seen it yet. Okay, because what you just said is a point that they make on there as well. When you watch it, you'll get it. You'll get it. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, if there's a little bit of comedy in there, then I, I don't feel so terrible. Mm-hmm. I feel well. I feel less terrible. Um, you know, but I think like a lot of people want to find that famous face. Yeah. Who goes against the status quo, um, you know, that's basically why Donald Trump got elected. I think 20 and years ago, like, someone like Fauci would have worked. Yeah. In a, in a pre, I don't even want to say in a pre-Trump world, but, like, 20 years ago, you know, that would have worked. I think now— In a pre-social this, media world. Yeah, I think now, sadly, if you would have had a figurehead, if you milly vanilly this, essentially— if you had like a hot young male or female delivering this information from if it Fauci, was Jonathan Taylor Thomas, yeah, <laughs> earpiece in their ear, and Fauci's just feeding them information, and they're telling us, they'd probably believe it. I think the other thing, and this is something Kendra and I've actually discussed. I think the other thing that makes people uncomfortable is they've never seen the scientific process happening. Yeah. Like they've forgotten. Or science class, yeah. you have your hypothesis, you have you have to test it and stuff like that. You they're used the methodology. to seeing, yeah, they're used to seeing the finished product. Like here you go. Like they're not used to saying like, hey, we thought it was this and now it's this. It's a lot of, a lot of people um, who maybe watch TV shows or movies, 
and there's a character who's pregnant. And then a few minutes later, there's a baby. Yeah. And you forget about all the stuff that happened between the, the sickness, pregnancy the... and the baby. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'll, there's a lot of like um, people are so used to instant gratification mm-hmm. that you ignore uh, or that you you just care about the results. I understand that people just care about the results, mm-hmm. but you can't ignore that there is a process. Yeah. And uh, and that's what they're just not used to yeah. seeing, you know, the back and forth. And then you've got an old man that's not, you know, who's smart, but he's not witty. He doesn't have the comebacks and the and the and the and the, <laughs> and the banter to be able to. Whereas and I mean, and I hate this about him, but geez, like, be, I guess it's because he was a reality TV star. He was clever. He could come up with sayings and phrases and and things that are easy to remember and that makes and a people lot of times feel, he would he would say something I'm like who's his writer because that was that was lame well that's the thing like <laughs> he's like the guy who like he just throws stuff at the wall yeah. like I, I feel like when you're watching him speak it's like a writer's room <laughs> like 50 percent of this doesn't make it, it out it was, of the um, room <laughs> i think it was like stephen colbert is like he's a he's he's a stand-up comedian he's doing there. improv yeah He's just throwing stuff <laughs> like that one didn't work. Like Dion Cole, you mark it. <laughs> if it don't work, cross it cross out. Cross it out. Like he's just up there, just trying things. Yeah. To see and it, and if like you know and if it if he you know watches the news later and they're saying like you know, um you know racist Asian slur virus here he's like ah oh, that one stuck and he just sticks with it. I mean the, <laughs> the term fake news. Yeah, the term fake news came from him. Yeah, he, I I can give him credit for that because everyone uses that. Yeah, in some capacity. Well, I mean, everyone uses "make X great again." <laughs> yeah, I'm here to make the NBA great. Like, is everyone? And it's like I I don't want to give him credit for that, but like I'd be lying if I didn't, just because. Like I, I like to think of Obama being one of the wittiest presidents we had, and I do think you got more bang for your buck with Obama because he was a little bit more well manicured and and well thought out. Definitely smarter. Um, I do think he had to pull his punches. I think after he made the um, early on the seance comment about Ronald Reagan getting Nancy Reagan having a seance. I think they were like, dude, you can't. That was funny. You can't do that. <laughs> so you had to pull back a bit. Whereas, like, he Trump wouldn't have pulled back. He would have leaned in. Like, especially if he got a laugh, he probably would have made. He it wouldn't a bit. have heard you say you need to pull back. <laughs> he would. Oh, been, I need to. I need to. You know, push further. But yeah, they're okay. laughing. Why would I pull back? Well, they're yeah. laughing. <laughs> like he would have. Next thing you know, he would have been coming up there with like um, crystal balls and being like, Ronald Reagan told me like. <laughs> like he's able to get away with now because he still has his rallies. Yeah. Which they took it his, just shows me because we, he can't be on Facebook. He can't be on Twitter. Twitter yeah. So <laughs> uh, Parler, I don't know if anyone even uses Parler anymore. I have no clue. But he's still having these rallies and they're televised. And I don't know how, like, I don't know how, if y'all support him, I don't know how y'all can keep watching this stuff. He's taking your money. Because it's like, is he really talking about, has he been talking about toilets for 45 minutes? I have About flushing toilets? I have no clue. He's like, you got to flush it 10, 15 times. Like, what? How do we get here? (sighs) How did we get to flushing toilets? And then the story came out that he would, he was known for tearing up documents in which... 
in the White House, like people, they want to keep track of everything. Yeah. But he would tear up documents and try to flush them down the toilet. The first thing you learn, he clearly he has not lived in apartments he was renting because your <laughs> landlord will tell you, don't flush anything thicker than, flush a, paper. than a, than a, than a uh, toilet paper. You don't flush anything. Th- and not too much toilet paper. Hey, look, we had to put up a sign that said, don't, don't flush uh, paper towels. That's thicker yeah. than toilet paper, y'all. Do not flush yeah, paper people, towels, people just do in general. It. Yeah, but, you'll piss off your landlord. Don't do it. <laughs> like, how do, how do we get here? But, you know, back to uh, trying to bring this Mr. back around Rogan. To, to, to Joe Rogan. Um, it's, kind of, it's kind of the same principle with, with Donald Trump that it is with Joe Rogan. That, yeah, you have this wide fan base. You know, you're he's an OG of, of podcasting. That was wild. Like I, I, I guess I did not realize how popular he was. I knew he had he was really popular, number one podcast and everything. As Michael um, Barbaro said, um, he's like he he's like we're the second most popular podcast, and it's not even close. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, and he sounded frustrated, like, and it's not even. And close. he's got people from different arenas coming in. Like, if you're a fan of UFC, yeah, then you might listen to it. If mm-hmm. you're um, a fan of uh, the TV shows he was on, Fear um, Factor. And Fe- if you're a fan of Fear Factor, has Chappelle ever been on there? Because I know he was on Chappelle's show at one point. Uh, and I don't know if Chappelle's tight. been on the podcast. Maybe. I, I mean, the, tight, it's been yeah. the podcast has been around for like at least twelve years, if yeah. not longer. Yeah. Uh, or if you're a fan of um, what was the other show he was on? He's either like Suddenly Susan or News oh, Radio. I yeah, he did do some. He was on one of those. In the 90s. <laughs> so if you're a fan of Phil Hartman and you miss him, and you might want you might hear some stories. Um, you know, so he has these other people from different interests coming in Mm -hmm. and i mean i do feel like it's dangerous so it comes i mean you can have your opinion Mm -hmm. if you're anti-vax you're anti-vax and you can have your opinion but the information you have to back it up it has to be substantiated well, it you comes can't just down to go like, out and say stuff. What is their responsibility? So the the big thing about him, they always say, is he says, I'm not a journalist. Fair. You aren't. Um, I think back to the quote, um, Charles Barkley, when they're like, you know, you're a role model. He's like, I'm not. A, I'm no one's role model. I'm not here to raise your kids. So fair enough. However, that doesn't mean they still don't look up to you. So at what point is it your responsibility to behave responsibly, even if you have no desire of being a role model or the voice of a generation or a voice of a demographic? Like you might not want to be it, but you are. Yeah. So it comes down to at what point do you bear some responsibility? I kind of but I kind of feel like you feel as well. Like at what point, too, do we hold the listeners personally responsible for doing their own research and not basically turning this guy into a demagogue and just believing everything he says without question, you know, just because he had Neil deGrasse Tyson on, just because he had, um, I'm trying to think, because he's had some smart people on there before. I just can't, I can't think of them because I just, I, that's just not my thing. But, you know, it's, it's kind of that catch-22 double-edged sword kind of thing. You know, you want to say like, hey, you shouldn't do that, but it's clear he doesn't want to be that. But then it's like, well, even though you don't want to, you are. People yeah. listen to you and they take you seriously. And I don't know. 
Because, I mean, like, I kind of, you know, in this, I know we're not Joe Rogan famous, but, like, I still um, try to act in a responsible way. You know, I don't try to say anything that I think would be irresponsible that I don't really believe in. I know we all the time we say black music is, all music is black music, which I'm seeing a lot of people parroting right now, um, parroting that on TikTok. And I just want to be like, you know, and I know we're, I'm sure, I'm sure we're not the first people to ever say this. But, like, I think that's really it suspicious. It sure is came up a lot after really we said it. I really think it's suspicious, you know? I'm just saying. Just you don't saying. find that suspicious? You don't find that suspicious? I'm just saying. <laughs> I see it a lot now. And I'm just like, I'm on a podcast and we, uh, okay. But, it's you know, I try to be responsible with what I say. Like, I, you know, I wouldn't back down from from that discussion with anybody. So, and I say that just because I feel it's a responsible thing to say as someone who you know, co-host a podcast who considers themselves uh, somewhat of an expert on, on music and music history. I feel like it would be saying anything else, I think, would be irresponsible. Yeah. And so I, you know, here we are on our podcast in Atlanta saying, you know, trying to be responsible. The least you can do as the biggest podcaster in the world is be responsible. Yeah. Like take accountability for, you know. When people on your who are guests in your podcast like correct like hey that's wrong yeah or that's that's not entirely accurate yeah take accountability for that mm-hmm. but you just try to brush over it I'm not a journalist. and now your fans believe that <laughs> that they're wrong yeah they have the proof in their hand no no yeah it's like you know some dude getting caught cheating in video on in four K in four K five K caught in five K son that's not me like wasn't me wasn't me wasn't me. But I caught you on the on the counter. <laughs> wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> caught you in the shower. Wasn't me. Wasn't me. <laughs> Deny. Deny. Um, so uh, speaking a little bit more about COVID nineteen, um, Coachella is coming back. Um, I know, uh, headlined by Kanye and Billie Eilish. Um, even though they had a little bit of back and forth because. I think at one of her shows, she stopped the shows because a fan needed uh, needed some help. That, that was what Kanye said was so dumb. I was trying to remember all about it, but yeah, that was so stupid. And then, like what she said, like I'll stop the show if somebody needs help. And then he th- he saw that as a shot at Travis Scott. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like how dare you be safe? How dare you care about your fans and stop the show? <laughs> um, and he's he's been. I had never seen him be so active on social media. Like he's bored. Uh, yeah. He ain't got no woman. He's bored, man. He's bored. His wife's gone. He's... His girlfriend broke up with him. <laughs> He's bored. Because he wants his wife back. Like He's it's... calling. He... I'm cringe every time he refers to Pete Davidson as Skeet. <laughs> I'm like, where where did Skeet come from? I keep thinking of the opening line to that song by the New Radicals, like 90 miles outside of Chicago. Can't stop driving. I don't know why. And it's like driving by a house for the, like, umpteenth time tonight like that's kind he's just driving by just looking fuming (laughs) just mad (laughs) oh man um so uh he and billy ice will be headlining the festival as of right now and there are some concerns because um they changed the coachella changed their health and safety guidelines on its website attendees will no longer be required to wear masks show proof of vaccination, or provide COVID-19 test results, provide negative results. Oof. 
uh, Stagecoach, the country music festival, mm-hmm. has a similar policy. That's where you'd expect it, though. <laughs> you uh, wouldn't well, expect they it. are both staged by Golden Voice. Oh, okay. Well, no, there you so go. So there you go. Um, uh, so neither festival will have COVID-19 restrictions or guidelines. Um, so we have the Coachella variant. Is that what we're going <laughs> to <laughs> That extra hard cough. Uh, I think, um, yeah, I, I don't, uh, well, I mean, I wasn't going anyway, but yeah. I, if I wanted to go, I'm definitely not going now. Hopefully people wear I masks. I get my money back. Even though they don't have to. I know that's yeah, asking like a lot. Now, now it's for the people to be personably, yeah. personally responsible. And, um... Now, a stagecoach, <laughs> I'll be, I'll be, if they, if they, you know, had a picture of everyone there, I'd be surprised if I saw one mask. Yeah. I'd be surprised if I saw uh, a, even a gator mask. Bottles of ivermectin. <laughs> <laughs> Let me stop. <laughs> um, so I'd be surprised if I saw any of, any of, uh, any of those things at stagecoach. Coachella. You would think in California people are a little more health conscious. Well, I find that weird but, because they're they're very conscious of this out in California. Yeah. So I'm a little shocked. There. I mean, in L.A., they they the slightest uptick, they shut the city down. Yeah. Um, but this is Riverside, uh, or well, I'll say oh, that's wait. where Rain Brady um, said Riverside, <laughs> Indio, Indio, California. Um, so this isn't L.A., so they have no jurisdiction. I guess you might say. Mm. Um. So yeah, I'd be I'd be looking forward to I I would be expecting to see the Coachella variant. Yeah, news. About Fingers that. crossed. I mean, like this is not us wishing for this to happen. Yeah, this is just kind of one of those like you know when you play with fire you get burned. It would be great if everyone came out of this and there were no cases. I would be very happy. I just don't think that's gonna happen. Um. Now it does go further than most. Um than other events that are coming up. Uh, the Oscars um, will require vaccines and negative tests for most attendees because that will be held indoors. And they're rich. Um, <laughs> <laughs> rules around masking, vaccination, and negative test results are also set to remain in place in New Orleans for Mardi Gras. Uh, South by Southwest will have a, a, a litany, they use the word litany, of COVID-19 rules. Okay. Uh, other outdoor festivals like Tree Fort in Bo- Boise, Idaho, Ultra in Miami, uh, will still have vaccine or negative test requirements. And for now, just Milwaukee Summerfest has dropped their COVID restrictions. Um, uh, Pitchfork Music Festival had their festival last year in Chicago, London, and Paris, and they require vaccine verification or negative test results. Um, so it's it's a risk here. I mean, I know that I think like just like, OK, you might need to wear a mask when you're there. I don't mm-hmm. think that would have kept people from going no, to either so. festival. And you didn't have it last year. Uh, I know you don't want to cancel it again. Yeah. But you're not this just because you dropped the restrictions doesn't mean more people are going to come and you're going to make all that money back. I'm curious what they'll do if someone there just actively has it. 
<laughs> they just show up and they're just coughing well, they're not, and sweating. Yeah, they're and, not. Uh, they're not testing anybody. Yeah, there just, are no PCRs. Oh yeah. uh, no, it's just allergies, and you're just profusely sweating. Like they could have like, all right, and just let you in. It's like a, a, a dry <laughs> cough. It's like, oh y'all, y'all ain't cold. It's 85 degrees out here. We talking about it's cold. <laughs> well, I got chills, man. I got, I got chills. <laughs> Say, like, oh man, Greg, you don't look so good. I feel fine, man. Damn, let me dance. Let me, just dancing, just dancing. Like, that's what I'm wondering. Like, how you know how far does this go? And then is it like, you know, he's got COVID, and everyone just kind of runs. But then by then, it's it's too late. You know, it's like you got it. Like, so, if, well, you've got it. And if you're not vaccinated, I'm pretty sure it's gonna it's gonna hurt you pretty badly. But, um, but like I said, all jokes aside, I, I'm hoping that no one gets it because it's. It's not fun. It's not fun at all. Um, so if y'all want to risk it out there, go for it. Um, got another uh, story I wanted to pull up here. So um, have the Brit Awards and um, uh, honoring the in Great Britain or the United Kingdom. I'm not sure which is <laughs> supposed to be the right term. <laughs> For that location, but uh, it's their basically their Grammys, and um, I know in America they've done it with uh, with the Grammys and with MTV, in which they don't honor. There's no male category and female category. So with the Brit Awards, they um, they had a female artist of the year and male artist of the year, but now it's just artist of the year. So I'm going to play this clip from the Brit Awards. And uh, we'll talk about it. Artist of the year goes to so fast to me laugh I put a short dress on now so I didn't trip this is amazing thank you I re actually really wasn't expecting this one at all like um I want to I want to say massive congratulations to little sims I've got so much love for you I feel you're absolutely Dave Ed Sam I'm so proud to be in your company um and I love being an artist I really do and I, I genuinely can't believe that it's my job and Real artistry, I know I've spoken about it before, but there's so many new artists here. England, the UK, we have so many incredible new young artists coming up. And never lose sight of why you are who you are. The reason people are into you is because of something you have in you. Don't ever let go of that, ever. Yeah, I just, and also I also, you know, I, I, I understand why the name of this award has changed, but I really love being a woman and being a female artist. I do. I do. I'm, re I'm really proud of us. I really, really am. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. She said it in the most respectful way possible. So, yeah. Um. <laughs> I understand why they changed it, but I'm proud of being a woman. You transphobe! So, yeah. So, Adele is being called a transphobe in the wake of her, um, of that speech. This is so uh, she won the Brit Award for Artist of the Year. Like I said, they had a female artist and male artist of the year. Um, 
so what do you what do you think of 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 that like as far as are people in the era of the cancel culture woke culture or um are people being hypersensitive yes <laughs> i mean i'm not i don't mean to be, to to belittle the plight of anyone because i i I'm not even going to pretend that I could ever understand what it is like to be trans and have to come out as trans and things like that. However, that was I was I wanted to hear how she said it. And she said in a in a very, um, I don't know, just like female empowering way. Like, I love being a woman. She wasn't saying like and I guess this is where it kind of comes down to. Um, how people like to classify white power. People say like, oh, when you say white power, that means you are um, you're you're um, you can't say that because you're putting down other races. That's why people say, you know, that's the kind of the sentiment behind white power. That was not the sentiment here. She didn't say, like, I'm proud to be a woman. And if you're a man or anything else, you can go to hell on. Like she didn't. That wasn't <laughs> the sentiment I got from it. It was like, hey, I understand. Hey, I'm very proud of being a woman. And. Women are, you know, are traditionally marginalized, are marginalized people. So I, I, I just don't, you know, she's in this with you guys. Like, she's not. <laughs> there's so many. Someone just got two weeks ago and we're mad about how Adele accepted an award. I'm sorry. I'm not, not trying to conflate things like that. But I'm just saying, like, it's it kind of starting to kind of feel like they're just looking for things now, you know. Um. So I, I don't follow the British media. Nor do I. Um, Piers Morgan is still a big deal over there. And, uh, <laughs> uh, I guess he's, t- he's taking a break from, um, crying over Meghan Markle, not going out with him. Um, never stood a chance <laughs> <laughs> like he stood a chance in the first place. Um, but he is often critical of Adele, but this time he came to her side, I guess, in a way. Um, he said that, um, when people ask me, what's your new show going to be about? I think you put this on Twitter. Uh, the answer is that, among other things, it's going to be about me canceling the woke imbeciles who think it's okay to bully and terrorize women into denying their own existence. Uh, so he has a new show coming up on. That's a very powerful statement. Yeah. That's a, that's a very powerful statement because, I mean, like, it's just so it's 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 just so weird. Like, it's two marginalized groups of people. Like, show some solidarity, man. Like, I don't get it. Like, Dave Chappelle said it best. Like, you know, cash out now, man. You're about to <laughs> you're about to lose it all. Like, get your chips and cash out. Like, yeah, that 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 genuinely blows my mind. Yeah, and I think it, in the in the same regard, I think it's also being um, a little overblown mm-hmm. because. Uh, it, this became a story because certain outlets made it a story. Mm. Like um, someone, uh, someone posted a, someone put up a tweet about that she's now a turf, T E R F. Yeah, that's and what I'm they not call. Sure what that um, means? I forget. That's what they call Dave Chappelle as well. Um, I, a feminist who excludes the rights of transgender women from their advocacy of women's rights. Which is not what she did. Which stands for trans-exclusionary radical feminine. Jesus. Yeah, that's what they call. That's what that's what Dave Chappelle has been called. Um, yeah, 
and she has never she's I would I would ask someone to show me where she's voiced. Where 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 what was she supposed to say? Because apparently this is this is like playing Minesweeper. You gotta say the right things so you know, people don't come after you yeah. or or feel like they gotta say something like, Well, what about this? Well, what about this? Well, what what about us? Yeah. You didn't mention us. Why did you mention us? You you weren't part of making that album with her. <laughs> so yeah, if it just feels so forced, it really does. It's it feels. I don't know, and 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 I think people have also twisted the twisted the the um, the phobic part. Mm-hmm. Of of words, someone who is transphobic. If someone is transphobic, they are afraid of transgendered people uh, uh, to the point of complete avoidance, and then also at the same time um, bashing them in private mm-hmm. or or bashing them in front of like minded people. Yeah, that's what that's what the phobic part is. But just because you're not mentioned. Yeah. Doesn't mean that someone is afraid of does not mean they're they're phobic. Mm-hmm. Um get a lot of I see a lot of that on on TikTok. Like it's becoming more of a more of a wasteland to me. We are on TikTok <laughs> though. Um of like fat phobic people. Like some girl saying if you if you don't date me, then you're fat phobic. No. No, they might not date you because you're probably a terrible person. Yeah, I would almost. And you never could, but they don't consider that. Don't consider like what kind of person you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just look at that. People just look at the surface and everything, and all of that has turned into why. Um, why I would say that Ben, you and Kendra are a rarity as far as millennials actually uh, getting married. because dating out here is i've heard man i've heard it's awful i've seen the videos it is awful i was going to turn to her and look like you're not gonna change into this are you like i promise i won't change into this it's 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 terrible man um and then you know some people go into into different directions from there that's why you get guys like fresh and fit and um uh the guy that they listen to and and you get Joe Rogan fans mm-hmm. and you get <laughs> Kevin Samuel <laughs> you get Kevin Samuels um so yeah um you know this makes me think but of- it's all because of how people want to be um oh sorry i just uh, this all comes from yeah. how people want to be um Identified and respected. I understand that. Mm-hmm. You want to be identified a certain way. You want to be treated a certain way. Um, and that's understandable. But there are going to be people who don't like you. No and that's one thing. Yeah. But people who don't mention you and don't know you, does not. they're not in the same category yeah. as the people who hate you. Yeah. And I think that's hard for a lot of people who would call Adele a turf or or Dave Chappelle hard for them to wrap their head around. We're not, we're not excluding you We're this is just my, but, but you, and you, you definitely not above these jokes. I think <laughs> I'm like, yeah. you're not above jokes. Okay. Uh, no one really is. Yeah. So, 
Um, it's it's annoying. I mean, it's yeah. It's it's overall just it's. It'd annoying. be like if someone and you know what I'll use I'll 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 use this example. It'd be like if somebody won an award and they were let's say they were Irish and like hey. I'm proud of, you know, I'm from Ireland, I'm proud or my family's from Ireland, I'm proud of my of my Irish heritage. I had shepherd's pie for lunch. <laughs> and then you came out and said, "That's racist. You didn't say black people." Like, no, that's not racist. Bro just likes his shepherd pie and Guinness. Like that's all he that's all he said. Or like, you know, I'm a proud Latin a member of the Latinx community. That's racist. You didn't say no. Well, the thing is, just... And the thing is, I I think part of that is also <laughs> that it's, I think in some cases, white Americans mm-hmm. rail against the idea that there ain't really nothing cultural about yeah. you or anything positive that's cultural. You know? There's your ancestry. That's that's why yeah. I always say, like, you know, when people are like, you know, is it, I feel like we're about to go into weird territory. But it's like <laughs> when people say, like, it's not okay to be white. Like, no one ever said that. Like, no, because yeah. white is not a culture. White is a this thing we made up, just like black is this thing we made up. Like you know, we're, African, yeah, Africans, uh, Haitians. That that is a that is a culture. Yeah, European because there is there were <laughs> Italian. There are traditions and and customs. If you go back yeah. in history, in those places, yeah, like and some people brought them here when they came to America. Like I'm pretty sure there's there's an Irish Heritage Month. There's an Italian like St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like it's just like that's not what people are saying. It's just like you know, I, I, like I said, it's weird territory, and I'm 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 trying to be as respectful as possible because I don't want <laughs> I don't want to get labeled or canceled or anything if I even can. A turf, or, or well, I don't know if there's another word. Yeah, or, or, or worf. I don't know. <laughs> a race. But it's like, you know, that's that's where the culture comes from. Like, if you happen to be German, you know, put on some later hose and eat some wheat, some schnitzel or something. I don't know. The, of course, that could probably be considered, because I have but no if, clue about that if, culture. If, but if you're not, if people aren't, like, considering that part of themselves, yeah. as far as, like, that culture. Like, I saw a meme that said, uh, this white girl said she's mixed because... Uh, her her parents are German and Dutch, and I said that's like saying you mix Sprite with Sierra Mist, <laughs> Nigerian with Zimbabwe. Like you're just <laughs> you're black, you're white. It's like you know, yeah. Like you have you can you have two rich cultures to um to pull from if you're. What did you say she was like German, German and Dutch? And, like okay, if you yeah you know follow German culture or, yeah. or like reading about German history. The 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 good and the bad of it, because <laughs> they unlike and, here they acknowledge the bad. Oh yeah, <laughs> they don't run from it. <laughs> or they they when if it is referenced, it's more like don't do. Yeah, that. that's that's what that is. Yeah, but we don't do that anymore. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you don't so, name your you know. There's no like Him, Fort Himmler. Let me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, I think that it's overblown. Um, but like I said, like it became a story because someone tweeted it, calling her a turf, and it had like twenty three likes. On and Twitter. someone just ran with and it. someone ran with it, what? and then Fox News picked it up, and then uh, Page over. Six picked it up. You know, so it became a viral tweet almost by accident, mm-hmm. um, and. 
I don't know. I people, uh, like I said, uh, I may have said this on the on the podcast before, but when people feel excluded, mm-hmm. or when they're not mentioned, even if it's something you had nothing to do with, if you're not giving someone complete and total um, praise and cheers and applause, then it's hate. Yeah. Um, Cause I said, I said this, like we, um, with the Super Bowl, uh, the Rams won, Matthew Stafford does have a championship and that's great. <laughs> I don't think he's a hall of famer. I don't either, <laughs> but he threw for 50,000 yards. Yeah. But he made, he made one pro bowl. He has a losing record as a quarterback, which no quarterback in the hall of fame has. Ooh, didn't know that. Makes sense, though. And no all-pro selections. And y'all trying to make it seem like this Super Bowl makes up for everything. And when stating that, Mm -hmm. it comes off as one person said I was hating. And another person said, oh, you must be a Detroit Lions fan. How is that connected? So I think it's funny, too. (laughs) (laughs) That's not even there's no even. I think the reason why people want to do that is because we have become a and this is my sports argument right here. We've become a rings culture. Like, oh, yeah, it's definitely like. You can't be just great. Oh, that. Hit number one in over two. oh, okay. What's going on there? I think, unfortunately, like, I'm willing to bet that if you were to have a quarterback like Dan Marino now, people would probably argue that he doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Even with everything he did, they would still say it because he ain't got no rings. And, like, I think that thinking has become toxic. Because yeah. you overlook like it can accomplish a lot, but it doesn't make up for yeah. what I would think is a a mostly mediocre, underachieving career. And then you take a position like quarterback, which is and it would lower the, the yeah. bar. It would lower the bar for quarterbacks because I mean, quarterback. Let's be real, is the most visible position in sports in America. Like it just is. And I would look at players who. They didn't. They didn't win a Super Bowl, but they've made multiple Pro Bowls. Yeah, maybe even an MVP. Like I think Philip Rivers is getting in the Hall of Fame. Mm. I would still say I look at someone like a Peyton Manning. Even if he had never won a ring, he's still a First Hall of ballot. Famer. He's still a Hall of Famer. <laughs> <laughs> but you'd have you'd probably still have people say, "Well, he couldn't get it done." You know, it's like, well, who was beating other than his brother, <laughs> Tom Brady? <laughs> Like you, you kept running up against you kept running into Tom greatness. Brady. You kept running up against historical greatness. The same reason they kept firing coaches in the SEC. Well, you couldn't. You couldn't, you couldn't beat win. Saban. Yeah, who was beating Saban? Like two people, <laughs> legitimate. Les Miles once, <laughs> and Urban Meyer. Like yeah. that is and now it. and people wanted to fire Kirby. Because he couldn't beat yeah. Saban, and now he finally did, and now he gets a ten year extension. Like this is his, this is historical <laughs> greatness, people. Like not many people are beating were beating Tom Brady. It just wasn't happening. And we're we're at a time where I I told people that, um, and we'll get to the charts in a second because the, the they can want everybody in the Hall of Fame now. <laughs> yeah, because I've said that Brady's no, gone. Like it's open season. <laughs> there is no quarterback. There is no quarterback drafted after two thousand five. The two thousand five draft in the first round it was Alex Smith 
Aaron Rodgers, and Jason Campbell. Aaron Rodgers is going to get in the Hall of Fame. Ooh, Jason Campbell, boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, he was picked right after Aaron Rodgers, too. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is going to get into the Hall of Fame, but look at every quarterback since. There's no lock. Some of you say, what about Patrick Mahomes? He's played five years. Yeah. I need a little bit more from him. Lamar, he's got an MVP. Lamar Jackson has an MVP. I need more from him. He's they got them four early years. too. They they got the. I think that was kind of their their curse is to get them so early in their careers. There's nothing to build up to now. Yeah, Josh Allen. As much as y'all want to make him, uh, <laughs> who's he play for now? The Bills. Yeah. Okay. He went to Wyoming, right? Yeah. Okay. I remember he was pretty hyped. But it was, it was it's crazy that after that playoff game against the Chiefs, where the Chiefs won the game, and Patrick Mahomes led a, a game-tying field goal drive in 13 seconds. <laughs> Who are they talking about the next day? Josh Allen. Never got a chance. I feel, And I felt that in my soul because they're like, man, they really got screwed over. Like, what about, what about the Falcons? We never got our shot. Never got our shot. Hey, look, them the rules. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but some people are talking about, like, now, like, okay, the Bengals made the Super Bowl. Joe Burrow had a great, had a great playoff run. And they they had a chance to win it at the end. Yeah, we'll see how they do next year. But how? What are people saying now? Oh, Joe Burrow's the best quarterback in the AFC. Okay, look, no, hold on, hold on. Recency okay, bias. they made the Super Bowl. Okay, but that's a game they easily could have been blown out if the Chiefs didn't have a, the biggest brain fart <laughs> I had ever seen in one half. Um, Falcons aside, anyway. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I, that's, not, that's, that's not, that's not, that's not even on, that's not even know. on Matt Ryan as far as like no, what it's happened. Not. It's not. But I would say that, like, okay, Philip Rivers, I think he's a Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. Matt Ryan might get in. Even I think though if he won that Super Bowl, he'd be a lock. But he's I he think, hasn't been to the Pro Bowl since he, since that yeah. season. So it's it's mm-hmm. iffy. It's iffy. But does he him, have all pro selections? Yes. Else? Okay. Okay. Um, Eli Manning may sneak in there. I mean, those two Super Bowls. You beat Tom Brady twice, man. That's you beat Tom Brady twice, but <laughs> he made a couple of Pro Bowls too. Yeah. Joe Flacco. I remember people were calling him elite. He's he's he never made a, he's never made a Pro Bowl. I can believe never that. no All Pro selections. <laughs> that is where Stafford him is right Matt now. Ryan used to get he is at so Joe Flacco much. level. He is a Joe Flacco level. He had and what made me mad is with all the comparisons that you know Matt because they got drafted in the same draft. Matt Ryan never had that good of a defense backing him up, like never. No, not not like a, a like they're only giving up ten, thirteen yeah. points kind of defense. No. Like everyone was like, "Oh, the defense played well in the Super Bowl," and no one expected them to. Like no one ex- we they they played out of their minds. <laughs> we we never. Had seen that before. I was like, "Who are the Grady Jarrett? Did what? Like, I mean, I know he's still here. I think he's still here at least. Yeah. I, haven't, I haven't paid attention. But like, was he nobody, a rookie that year? I think he was. Like, I tell people that who didn't. I was like, have these people? Like, no one was over two years other than our corners. <laughs> like our linebackers, our linemen, our safeties, all first, second, or third year players. Mostly first and second year. I think Vic Beasley was like a second year player and led the league in sacks. Like no one expected that. Like that was out of the. That will never happen again. That will. That was like the Legion of Youth. Like that was just. <laughs> like I was just. I was like Robert Alfred got a what? Like 
Oh, he got a, a pick six on Tom Brady, and he's on he the ground. He didn't, he didn't grab somebody's jersey first before. I was so <laughs> surprised. And you know that was gonna be the cover. The, oh, it was him running, him running it in. Tom Brady on the ground because apparently rumor has it that's the plan. Which he was concussed because he got hit pretty hard. It was gonna be him on the ground, and it was like I think it said like um something average Brady. Or something. I don't remember, but like that was the. That was going to be it until, you know, superhuman Brady pulled off. I'm glad he's gone. Jesus Christ, I'm glad he's gone. <laughs> I might start watching football again. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like some some people, if it's not like complete and total praise, then it's hate. If you have some kind of criticism, like then what criticism isn't always hate. I think it's a if, generational thing, though, honestly. Yeah, it, I think I, it I definitely think it is. Because um, this generation is just not used to. To being like, I look at Trey Young and Jesus knows I love the Hawks. Everyone knows all the Hawks, but like, come on, bro! Like, why did you expect an insane level of respect as early in your career as poor as you were playing? Like, yeah, by the second half of your rookie season, you had gotten better, but like, you know, people look at successes. You know, like you, I mean, like you were like a playoff run away from being Stephon Marbury. Let's just be real. You were you were real close. Then you kind of came through, made some passes, some great lobs, and you know embarrassed some folks up in New York and Philly. Next thing you know, you know your your father's on Twitter talking about like you get the whole Eastern Conference shook. How from outside of the playoffs? Like like you're not even a playoff team right now. Well, it's about it's like okay, you had a great playoff run. Now the expectations go up. Can you do it again? Like, if you were a fourth or fifth seed right now. That'd be different. Then you might get that respect you're, that you're looking for. I think, I feel like they're going to they're gonna be like the New York Giants. Like, if they win a title, it's going to be from the play-in. Like, they're just going to turn it on at the end of the season and just go on a, on a streak. And everyone's going to be like, wow, Hawks came out of nowhere. <laughs> he's And, like, and he's Eli Manning. He can only get up for <laughs> playoff games. <laughs> well, as like I think the Giants made the playoffs – like a few years in a row, but the only they when they won, then they won those two Super Bowls. Those are the only playoff wins he has. Yeah, I was. I was it was seasons. funny because I was telling my I was telling my brother in law about that. I was like, because of how college football is set up, you can't have a team just catch fire like that and just come out of nowhere. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just like. You damn near had a losing record and won the Super Bowl. <laughs> like that just does Nine not and seven. happen. It doesn't happen. <laughs> you had some crazy, you know, throw to um, who was that that caught that? It wasn't uh, oh, Plasco Burstball one. Yeah, David Tyree. Like you just have these crazy plays. Just like no one gives you a crazy, chance. <laughs> a crazy throw in the second Super Bowl. To, that was the one to Plaxico Burst, right? That was uh, Manningham. Manningham. On yeah, Mario Manningham. Yeah. Like you just have these crazy. <laughs> like you just don't have that happen often, you know. It's just like that doesn't. I was like the closest was the Tim Tebow led um, Gators, where he gave that whole speech. You never see a player play as hard as me, work as hard as me. God bless. He just walks up, and that was one loss. They had <laughs> one loss. One loss, <laughs> and they had to get hot and get lucky, and just and and and, then, and, and play the teams at the right time. Because I remember yeah. there was one year, uh, the and this will be the closest to what you're talking about. Um, I think it was a couple of years ago where Auburn already had two losses, but they were playing Georgia and Alabama in back-to-back weeks. Was this the Trey Mason year? Yes. Okay, I remember that year. No, 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 no. That no. was the year they beat um Florida no. State. 
No, no. It okay. was this was this was later. Um I, that did help them that year. Yeah. But <laughs> in this year they had two losses. They they beat Georgia, then they beat Alabama, and then they had to play Georgia again in the SEC championship. And if they won, they would have been in the playoffs oh, yeah. with two losses. Who was the was it who was the uh quarterback that year? Um because it was that dude that was that the that wasn't the Pratt Jordan Hare year, no. Because no. that was the first. That's the Trey Mason year where they beat. Um, no, they didn't beat. Um, they lost to Florida State. My bad, I forget that. That was the pass from um, Winston to Kelvin Benjamin, last second. Uh, who they have? I'm pulling up there that season right now. That like carry on Johnson. Carry on. Oh, dude, that dude was a stud. He was their best player. That dude was good. He was he was hurt that Alabama game too. Yeah, they were they were um, number six. They just beaten Georgia, who was number one at the time, and then they beat Louisiana Monroe, and then they beat Alabama. Could they play all three games at home? That was one thing, and then they <laughs> lost to Georgia in the SEC championship, and then they lost to Central Florida in the Peach Bowl. So who won that? Was that an Alabama year? Was that Alabama? That Clemson? was the year that uh, that was Alabama Georgia. Alabama. Oh. O.J. Howard pass, right? Uh, no, Tua. Tua. Tua, Tua came in at halftime. Yeah, to, um, I thought it was Tua to O.J. Howard. Oh, it was uh No, that was Devontae when they played Smith. Clemson. My bad. I'm getting they – have, they've had those last minute <laughs> – they've done that a couple times. It was Devont- Devontae Smith. On the go route. Yeah. Okay, I do remember that, yeah. Trying to see who was – oh, Jared Stidham. He was the quarterback. Okay. I maintain that if, if Pete Carroll was still at USC, um, Tua does not come to Alabama. Tua does not get past California, I don't think at least. If Pete Carroll's still there coaching at USC, yeah, because they get they get a lot of people out of Hawaii. Either that, or if Chip Kelly's still at Oregon, like either one of those, he ends up at Oregon, yeah, USC, or maybe depending on who else is in that class, he probably just ends up at Utah. Mm -hmm. All right, um, let's get to the chart. Let's just turn into a sports podcast. Yeah, let's get back to the music. Let's get to the charts here uh, before we get to Ben's earworm of the week. Number one on the Hot 100, uh, it was there last week. I'm not going back the other weeks, but number one this week on the Hot 100. Can't this. We don't talk about Bruno from the Encanto soundtrack. Have you seen the movie yet? I have not. And neither have I. Another song it has been nominated for an Oscar. Um, I wanted to bring bring. Well, never mind. I don't know if you've heard any of them. Probably not. But we can say. The best original songs? We can say Academy Award nominee, Beyonce. For what? Uh, for the song that she apparently got co-writing credit for, uh, for the movie um, uh, uh, King Richard. They must have vetted it then this time. They must have really <laughs> vetted it like. Well, there's only one other person. <laughs> there's only one other songwriter credited. They have video footage of her like, <laughs> writing lyrics. <laughs> Uh, number two, Do We Have a Problem by Nicki Minaj and Lil Baby. I haven't heard this one yet. Uh, this is uh, debuting at number two. Number three, Easy On Me by Adele, Brit Artist of the Year. Um, number four, Heat Waves by Glass Animals. Number five, Stay by The Kid Leroy and Justin Bieber. Number six, Super Gremlin by Kodak Black. Number seven, A, B, C, D, E, F, U by Gail. 
Number eight, Shivers by Ed Sheeran. Number nine, Ghost by Justin Bieber. And number 10, Surface Pressure by Jessica Darrow. I have not heard that one. I haven't heard a lot of these. I need to go back and, yeah. Um, and I know it was because it's a popular phrase that's cir- circulating around the internet. Push and pee is uh, number 11 this week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, let's look at the Billboard 200. These are the albums. Number one this week. It was number one last week. The Encanto soundtrack. Uh, number two. DS Forever by Gunna. Um, I think he also performed at the uh, All-Star Saturday Night, the, the DJ Khaled show, oh, um, which was kind of awkward. Like when they started doing All I Do Is Win, and I, I'm like, where's T-Pain? Didn't see him. It, I, it was I think weird. the music industry is is on is beefing with him. Yeah. Mm. Uh, number three, CM10, Free Game by Yo Gotti. Number four, Dangerous, the double album. <laughs> 57 weeks, still sticking around. <laughs> Morgan Wallen. The Dark Side of the Moon. Awards, <laughs> of we don't need no awards. He got sales. <laughs> <laughs> number four, that was number four. Number five, Laurel Hell by Mitski debuting at number five number six dawn fm by the weekend number seven certified lover boy by drake number eight the highlights by the weekend number nine 30 by adele and number 10 planet her by doja cat so no christmas stuff yeah finally (laughs) let's look at the artist 100 number one he's got two top 10 albums um, and uh, there's something else I feel like he just did. He did a song with somebody. I can't remember who it was, but The Weeknd is number one. Why don't we have Bruno? Where's Bruno? Like, we don't talk about Bruno. I guess not, man. <laughs> I guess not. Number two is Adele. Number three, Ed Sheeran. Number four, Doja Cat. Number five, Lil Baby. Number six, Drake. Number seven, Taylor Swift. Number eight, debuting at number eight, her first appearance, Mitski. You need to find out more about Mitski. Yeah. Number nine, Morgan Wallen. That's got to be because of that <laughs> song he did with Lil Durk. <laughs> and number 10, the nicest man in country, Luke Combs. Um, so, yeah, that's the uh, um, those are the charts. So, Ben, while well, I get it queued up here, tell us about your earworm of the week. <clears throat> So, yeah, it's a wasteland, but every now and then you find some good music, and um, people have been kind of using this um, as a meme, act like you know. It's a gospel song, which is, you know, all well and all, but they're not using it for gospel things. (laughs) They're not like, you know, using it to lift up the name of God like you would think. (laughs) They're using it just like, you know, like, I'm a freak, act like you know. Like, it's just really weird stuff. It's just, but... um, I I just I the live version is what they're using. So I just went up and and looked up the song cuz I'd never heard it before. Yeah, shame on me. Um but like it is it's on in all of its 90s gospel glory. You know, you've got the the great singers, you got tons of synth. I just love it. I love 90s gospel music. It's just good stuff. This is a uh, Yeah, is that like you know by I think it was LaShawn Price or something like that? LaShawn Pace. LaShawn Pace, excuse me. 
Um, so we're going to play that. I Like You Know by LaShawn Pace. We'll start playing. There we go. And we'll be right back. That is Act Like You Know by LaShawn Pace from her 1996 album, A Wealthy Place. Act Like You Know. <laughs> and you find that along with our other earworms on the B-E-B-T-T-Y-H-T. B-E-T. The B-E-T, no. The B-T-T-Y-H-T Earworms of the Week playlist on Spotify. Um, there are two songs missing. They're both Ben's <clears throat> earworms. Um, Thanks a lot, Joni A Mitchell. Case of You by Joni Mitchell and Daydreaming by Big Story. Yeah. Yeah. But other than that. Hopefully uh, LaShawn Pace doesn't <laughs> come out against Joe Rogan. <laughs> Start snatching her music off. All right. So we started this, uh, this episode with uh, a cover um uh the song Higher Love originally recorded by Steve Winwood uh there was a live cover of it done by Whitney Houston and the vocals were uh used and and edited and broken down and produced by Kygo 
who uh, made it a, a song. Um, and it was, it was, I think it, it had never been released. Her, her version of it, I think it was a live version. Like I said, um, had never been released. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I like that version. I like her version of the song. Um, I saw the video earlier today. <laughs> it was, um, uh, the, these guys are like walking down this alley and then, um, they see this, like garage area and they see these girls dressed uh like it's the 80s the mid 80s uh aerobics like an aerobics class see them dressed like that and so they're looking outside the window watching them rehearse a dance routine or something mm-hmm. and um the girls are tell are are kind of some are like flirting back and then the, you know what the girl who's leading it is telling them to leave and then one guy walks around to the door to go into the room where they're rehearsing. And all of a sudden he's dressed like it's the 80s. <laughs> I don't think so, I've seen this. Um, yeah. So it's uh, um, lots of lots of 80s dancing, like kind of, I guess, kind of merging the the style of Kygo with this 80s song. So almost sounds like a. <laughs> That video for Call On Me, almost, just, you know, yeah. less perverted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Call On Me video is kind of, perver- kind of perverted. So we'll be doing, uh, because five, Whitney Houston songs. And you see the background change. And um, we, uh, we, <laughs> 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 we do, we, we pick five songs. Why? Because five and we we pick two more songs each as an excuse to play more music. So um, we'll start with you, Ben. Uh, your first honorable mention. All right. So this one is from her last album called I, "Like I Never Left." It was a duet with Akon, who's always a good duet partner. I think. Um, I don't feel like he ever overshadows you as a duet partner. So. Um, it's a little difficult to listen to just because you can just tell that like her voice wasn't the same <laughs> on that last album. She just, you know, great song. It's got that classic Akon sound to it, which is why I like it. Um, but it's just, it can be hard to listen to sometimes. I'd have left love. I'd love to have heard her do this in like the nineties when she was in her prime, just to see how it sounded. But it's just a really good song. It's like, a, it's, the kids say a vibe, you know, throw it on and it just kind of, you know, puts you in a good mood. But yeah, I like this song. It wasn't a single, so there's really not a ton of information out there about it. I never knew why it wasn't a single and I don't know how I heard it. It might have been in like a there were only, or something. There were only two singles. Yeah. The uh, I Look To You um, because R. Kelly was still um, being Accepted. trusted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so oh God! He wrote "I Look to You," and then, um, like I was telling Ben, um, one of our um, friends, acquaintances from West Georgia, is a uh, was a DJ in New Orleans, and I think she this was part of uh, the song "Million Dollar Bill" was part of her set. She re- she told me she really liked that song. Okay, I think those are the only two singles from the. Uh, from the album though yeah i didn't know my own strength might have been a single i'm not sure yeah this one was apparently leaked as a single 
Um, but they just didn't do it. So, so yeah, so, uh, yeah, not a ton about this one. I mean, it's the last album, um, yeah. you know, before she passed and it's, it's not a bad album, but it's, you know, it's, she's, she's clearly not, in, she's way past her prime at this point. All right. So, um, my first honorable <clears throat> mention comes from, uh, it's out of season, but I still <laughs> like it. Um, it's from the Preacher's Wife soundtrack, uh, Joy to the World. Okay. With the Georgia Mass Choir. I feel like the Georgia Mass Choir was getting a lot of work back in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> when in doubt, hire the Georgia Mass yeah. Choir. Um, but with this, you know, the, I, maybe the album, the soundtrack came off as too niche for a wider audience compared to the Bodyguard. Mm-hmm. Um, because this is... You you basically remake a movie and make it black. Oh, I didn't know that. Turn people off. Yeah, uh, the original is called The Bishop's Wife. I think mm-hmm. it came out in the in the early fifties. Let me guess, Cary Grant was in it. <laughs> if it wasn't Cary Grant, it was like Humphrey Bogart or or Jimmy Stewart. Actually, I think it was Jimmy Stewart. Let me see. Cary Grant. <laughs> Cary Grant. Okay. <laughs> There were only like six guys who yeah. were in any movie like at that you're just time. Ro- they're just rotating. <laughs> um, but I like I like the the rendition of "Joy to the World." Um, you know they uh, they they black gospeled it up, mm-hmm. and um, it's one of those. As far as like with the Christmas songs that you would hear, this is this. If I wanted to hear "Joy to the World," this is the one I want to hear. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's basically, it's like, that was basically a gospel album, though, that soundtrack. Yeah, that's why I think it, it wasn't as, um, as it's. I mean, it wasn't going to be as big as The Bodyguard regardless, I mm-hmm. think. But I think it might have turned off her white listeners mm. because it was heavy on the on the gospel. As yeah. I think, I haven't watched any of the documentaries about Whitney Houston, but I know it's something she struggled with. With uh, black line. people accepting her, but also having you know the the white fans as well, mm-hmm. I think this, this this turned off the white fans. I'm just guessing. I mean, there may be no truth to that, <laughs> and if, if 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 there isn't, I will I will I will be accountable. Because <laughs> that's what we do here. Yes, <laughs> and by the time you hear this podcast, we are accountable. You can count on us. To be accountable. All right, so uh, that's my first honorable mention. Ben, second honorable mention. All right, so this one um, is also a cover. I guess that one's technically over too. But this is a Shaka Khan cover. I'm every woman. Um, love this song when it came out. I still listen to it from time to time. But I just remember, you know, being a kid um, and just really loving this song. I don't think I knew at the time it was a cover. I, I, I didn't care. Um, I found out later, but just I love this song. It's such a fun song. Uh, what's interesting about the with the bodyguard soundtrack is that there are three covers on it. Mm-hmm. And while there are 12 songs, she's only on six of them. Mm-hmm. But it gets I think when it won the Grammy for album of the year. She was the only artist that right. got credit because mm-hmm. it also has Kenny G. 
Oh, really? <laughs> he did a song with Aaron Neville. Uh, it also has Lisa Stansfield. I love Lisa Stansfield. And uh, Joe Cocker. I think Alan Silvestri did the theme song for the movie. Joe Cocker is definitely one of those guest the race artists. You might not know. <laughs> you might not know. <laughs> and then when you see him, it's like, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> Just don't hit you. You wouldn't know. Joe Cocker has an amazing, had an amazing voice. Um, I don't think I realized this was from the Bodyguard. Yeah, this is on the Bodyguard soundtrack. I don't think I didn't realize that. Wow, it was one of the I think with the singles, except for "Jesus Loves Me." I think the other five songs she did were singles. Wow, <laughs> and nothing else, not anything from the other artists. <laughs> well, I mean, this was clearly a star vehicle for her, and I mean, well, yeah, yeah. and a very successful one. I might add, but yeah, I just, I love this song and like, it's very, like it's, and I guess this is kind of where that struggle comes from. Like, this isn't very R&B at all. It's like a dance track. Yeah. It's like, it's got a ton of house elements to it. Well, this was the, um, let me check because I, 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 I have a feeling who produced it. I feel like the, um. The guys from CNC Music these. Factory were involved with it. I'm I'm not sure. Um, I don't because right, it, it had that like that '90s dance music sound. Um, yeah, yeah. Robert Clavalis and 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 David Cole. That's CNC Music Factory. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and Narada Michael Walden, who um, uh, produced a lot with. Um, uh, wrote with Mariah Carey, and um, he's now the drummer for Journey. Okay, <laughs> it's funny because I could I could hear this being done by like Madonna, maybe five years earlier, but I think this is around bedtime stories yeah. when she was actually being R and B. So it's just funny. It's like you've got this artist who was pop for you know the first part of her career makes a, an R and B album, and you've got this artist who like you know it's just and Whitney Houston who really is just going from like. She can't decide. She had just made I'm Your Baby Tonight, where it was like a little more aggressive, more R&B. And what she do, she goes right back to doing essentially pop standards almost. And yeah. It's just funny because this totally is something that could be played in a dance club. And that might be why I like it, because I like house music. So <laughs> This is definitely, um, I get it, House in the Park, if that still happens, yeah. this is definitely a oh, song yeah. that will be played. This version. I mean, Shaka Khan's cool and everything. Yeah. But <laughs> it's definitely this version here. All right. So my second honorable mention, uh, this was not on an album. Uh, and I I think the songs that she does that are um, that are more pop mm-hmm. and and more ballady <laughs> um, don't get a lot of the recognition they deserve. Um, you know, a lot of people just focus on the the major, um, more the major pop songs. But mm-hmm. I like this one, and it's one moment in time. I'm trying to think if I know this one. Uh, this song, um, written by Albert Hammond and John Bettis, produced by Narada Michael Walden. Um, was written for the um, was written for the 1988 Summer Olympics. Okay. 
and it was on that soundtrack. And uh, it went to number one in the UK, number five in the US. Uh, it's been on her greatest hits albums ever since. Um, but I, I knew when I when I heard this uh, when, like picking songs, I remember that song. I thought it was either this song was part of the Olympics or it was part of the uh, the NCAA tournament, the one shining moment. Oh, one shi <laughs> I thought they played this song one time, but. It's been one shining moment, the Luther Vandross version, mm -hmm. uh, uh, for probably like at least 25 years, if not longer. Yeah, hey, um, I don't think I've ever heard this song. Or if I did, I just don't remember. Um, she also sang this to open the Grammy Awards. It was, she's nominated for a Grammy for this performance. Okay. Uh, she sang it for Sammy Davis's 60th anniversary in show business show. Uh, she sang it at the 92 Olympics for the opening ceremonies. Uh, so this, it had some staying power. Randy Jackson played bass on this. Yes. Huh. Uh, you don't have many songs like this anymore, man. I miss that. Um, and those songs just for like, it's this one time thing for this one time event. Um, and it's written for it and everything. So, uh, it's one of those um, one of those ballads that it's supposed it's in, it's supposed to be an inspirational type of ballad, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so uh, I just remember hearing that, and it reminds me of like uh, big sporting events, okay. basically. And you don't get a lot of that anymore, as far as like music like this for it. I mean, you might get a Migos song instead. <laughs> Um, so yeah that's my second honorable mention okay so number five Ben so some people might call this blasphemous but there are just other songs I like better than this one but I didn't want to leave it off because it's iconic and that is I Will Always Love You um, amazing song um, shout out to Dolly Parton who really is just an all around great person um, for writing this gym um, she has admitted though that this is Whitney's song now <laughs> Um, maybe you could say Chris Cornell just because he did a very moving um, rendition of it after Whitney died in tribute to her. Very good. Um, another voice of a generation. But, I mean, there's a lot that can be said about this song. Um, starting out a cappella, very brave. <laughs> very hard to do. I almost wonder. Cause, so this speaks really to how good of a vocalist she was. Because to be able to sing this song, keep the key when the because the arrangement comes in after her, you know, and she's on key. So I almost wondered. I've wondered this all my life. Is there a master recording with her singing to <laughs> a backing track and they just removed it and brought in the arrangement? Or did she really just go up there and was like, you know, look at it, like, all right, I got this. And just sing it straight through. Okay, it's produced by David Foster. What do you think he did? I don't know, because he, he seems like he's so arrogant. <laughs> like, he just would have... Because, like, part of me is like, he's like, you're not going to mess this up. So we're going to, you know, we're going to give you the key. And if you can't get it right, we'll put a backing track in here, Whitney. I swear to God, we'll put a backing track in here. Um, but when I, when I saw that David Foster produced this, I was like, that's why it sounds... Like that, there. I feel like David Foster just has a production style, 
even songs that he's produced in the 2000s still kind of sound like this. There's a story for this here. Um, she was originally going to record What Becomes of the Broken Hearted by Jimmy Ruffin yeah. uh, as the lead single, but that song was going to be used for the film Fried Green Tomatoes. So she asked for a different song. Mm -hmm. And Kevin Costner suggested yep. this one. And um, she first heard Linda Ronstadt's version. And then David Foster and Houston, I guess, rearranged the song. And uh, her, rec of course, the record company doesn't think the acapella introduction was going to be it's, successful. It's bold, man. <laughs> bold move, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off. Like. <laughs> <laughs> they insisted on keeping it. And um, when Dolly Parton heard that Whitney Houston was using the Ronstadt version as a template, she called David Foster to give him the final verse, which was missing. Oh, I don't think I knew that. As she felt it was important to the song. Wow. Dolly Parton, your clutch. <laughs> um, and there's a, a version by an artist known as John Doe, uh, who co-founded the L.A. punk band simply called X. There's a version of his his version of the song is in the film as well. Okay. So underrated here, too. The, the, the key change, of course, is awesome. Saxophone solo. Like it's Kirk really Whalum just. on the saxophone. I mean, it's really just perfect, and I don't want to call it R and B, but it's just perfect adult contemporary music to me. Yeah, is what it sounds like, you know. Um, just done so well, live instruments, because that's how that's just how David Foster gets down. Um, I will say one thing, I, and I guess maybe he left this in the '80s, and it's a it's a ballad. I would expect more synth from David Foster because I know he likes to, you know. <laughs> Like, I think of, like, Through the Fire, which is kind of a power ballad. You know, there's some synth in there. The the keyboards kind of sound kind of a little cornier. Um, but, I mean, I think this is this is fairly on brand for David Foster as a, as a producer. This won a Grammy, right? Um, yes, it won Record of the Year. Of course it did. <laughs> Best Foster. Pop Vocal Performance. Um, is that one of the 11 he has sitting on him? <laughs> you got like 17 of He's them. He's got huh? so <laughs> many Grammys sitting up there. But no, this is, I mean, to, to give Whitney her flowers, it's an amazing vocal performance, um, an amazing song, amazing arrangement. Um, there's just songs I like better, but I do, I, I can't deny how iconic this song still is, really. I mean, it's one of those songs that has that still lives on. You know, to this day, it's, it's considered like a standard, you know, so um, and I, I'm pretty sure I've got it on my list of um, R&B standards because I, ma I made a list on um, playlist of R&B standards. I think I've got like Lately by Tyrese on there and um, Love by Music Soul Child. Yeah, because I just think, you know, we should have standards for every, you know. Yeah. You know, I mean, we got every jazz standards. Yeah. Rock standards, pop standards, R&B standards. Do we have hip hop standards? That's what I was going to say next. I don't know how you do that. I, yeah, but I don't know how you do because it. Because no one likes to perform other people's songs in hip hop. Yeah. And standards, for those of you it's who might not understand, you like, these are the songs that just you just know, you know, in a genre. Um, you know, you, you got the, the book of jazz standards, the... Um, the real book that has all the jazz standards. Musicians know them. The singers, you know, should know them. And I think we should have a real book of, of rock songs, of R&B songs, of pop songs. I, I think that would be 
that'd be cool. And so, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll get to my number five. Um, even though there are, like I said, I didn't have like all the hits in my list. Um, there are probably two other songs that people, maybe three other songs that people would, would choose from the same album. And, but, um, I was so emotional as far as like okay. her up-tempo stuff. This is the one, one of the ones that I like the most. This is, this is an older track. This is, um, this is off of Whitney, the second album. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this was a single, uh, written by Billy Steinberg, uh, who Billy Steinberg and Tom Kelly, who co-wrote like a virgin. Okay. And True Colors by Cindy Lauper and Eternal Flame by the Bengals. So like those, this was a number one hit. <laughs> um, so uh, I remember the, the video was in black and white. Uh, Wayne Isham directed the music video. As in like, okay, okay. Yeah. For a second. Okay, wow. Um. And I like the energy of this song. It has Narada Michael Walden on the drums. Um, I guess I didn't feel like this song felt. It didn't. Okay, there it we didn't, go. I recognize that. Yeah, yeah there we go. Yeah, okay. there you go. People, when you hear the hook, yes. Yeah. Um, this song, it didn't feel as cheesy sounding mm-hmm. as the other songs on the album, which. Um, uh, I want to dance with somebody. Didn't we almost have it all? Where do broken hearts go? Actually, not too bad. But, okay. <laughs> but yeah, I want to dance with somebody. I I can't stand that song. <laughs> I li- and I and it sucks because I know the you know um, boy meets girl wrote the song. I just can't stand the song. I, and, but I love Waiting for a Star to Fall. <laughs> but I can't stand this one. But no, I, for, I forgot about this song. Like it, When it started, I was like, this sounds familiar. But yeah, when it got to the chorus, yeah. I, and it's so funny because you kind of hear just how pop she was. Yeah. And it's just like, I can just imagine like, you know, yeah, you're probably not getting any street cred. You don't sound anything like the black artists that are out at that time. You're just not... Mm. That's got to be a struggle. Yeah. Well, well, we I definitely want to do an episode on the um, either. I think there are like three documentaries about her out there. Mm-hmm. All right. So that was my number four. Mm-hmm. No, no, that was my number, number five. five. My number so four. Your number four is um, I have nothing. Which um, great song. Um, I just I don't know. This this is. I just, I don't know. Some people might say, like, why would you put this over? Um, I Will Always Love You. I don't know. This was my favorite song from the from that soundtrack, but, yeah. Um, with this one, let's see. Was this a single? Yes. It went to number four. And I think it was one that was nominated for Best Original Song for the Academy Awards. It was this one and what was the other one? Was it Run To You? I think so. Yes, that was the other one. I know it, I know it had two songs. 
Um, so I have nothing written by David Foster and Linda Thompson, produced by David Foster. Um, you would think that, um, I don't know, it could have been that kind of, like we talked mm -hmm. about Janet Jackson and, and with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Yeah. And that musical marriage. I don't think David Foster would commit to anyone like that, though. Yeah. I mean, I... It, I it maybe yeah. it, it might have been might have been mutual that they can't work together all the time. Yeah. You know, so a but, lot, but not all the time. <laughs> yeah. But, but you you like what could have been, you yeah. know, because honestly I think at this point, like, David Foster maybe doesn't get kind of the recognition that that he should. Because mm -hmm. we look at producers as the guys who have their, their tag on the song. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or or they're already an established artist, you know, yeah. someone like a Bruno Mars. Mm -hmm. um, but I think um, the the guys like even Narada Michael Walden, who worked a lot with Whitney and David Foster and uh, the guys who wrote Like a Virgin and Eternal Flame and True Colors, <laughs> like, you know, those guys, they maybe think they should get a little more recognition for you know, for these hit songs. Yeah. But I think maybe part of it is that they just wanted the make sure they got their money. But as far as like the the fame from it, um, maybe it'll just we just want more work and because we got a lot more songs or something in that regard. Yeah. I I think also because so like producers now are almost like celebrities and back then you had some I think the producer back then was not really like you don't really put your stamp you weren't really putting your stamp on things you know like i think to a new a really smart listener a really nuanced listener you can kind of hear some of those differences and some of those things that producers do but like to like a, a someone who doesn't know they don't know that you know like did i know that david foster produced these no but once you said it i was like yeah that sounds like his production style that's just how he worked another note because you have an episode about it. It is the one of the most performed songs on American Idol. So one of the things that actually brought me back to this song was when we were back in college and um, Leona Lewis, who was on the X Factor, performed this song and performed it very well. And I forgot how much I liked it. And that kind of re-sparked my interest in it. So, And um, it was uh, also it was featured in the trailer for the estate proved documentary <laughs> called Whitney. Okay. So, um, that was the one that came out in 2018 and the, the previous one that was on Showtime, I believe was called, can I be me? Okay. Um, so one or both of those documentaries, you might do something we want to do an episode on. Okay. So my number four, <clears throat> um, if everyone would please stand, and remove your hats. Okay, so it is. I was wondering <laughs> if you would do this. I was wondering. Let me take off. I just shaved my head. I can. <laughs> so I have to ask, Greg. Are you okay with it being pre-recorded? Perfectly fine. Okay, okay. Perfectly fine with that. Some people didn't like that. They were. They felt betrayed when they found that out um i think that she had just come off of uh she was on tour in the middle of a tour maybe 
Um, so singing every night, probably exhausted voice. Yeah. So, okay, she was singing live, but the mic was off. That's weird. <laughs> so basically, we just didn't hear. We didn't have her vocal feed, essentially. Uh, it said due to uh, due to her musical director making her aware of the risk of performing live, including the sound of the crowd, jets flying overhead, mm. and other such distractions. So a lot of things. Okay, got it. I understand. Um, so uh, this was performed... Before Super Bowl twenty five in Tampa in Jesus. 1991. So long ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is this is the standard performance of the national anthem to me. Mm-hmm. This is what you have to live up to. Not you Fergie's? can you can. <laughs> uh, some people may say this one. Some people may say if you want to mix it up a little bit, use Marvin Gaye's version as a as a uh, you know some inspiration or something like that uh but to me it's like because it is you know the national anthem it's a it's a timeless song but i think mm-hmm. it's it's also a timeless performance like mm-hmm. i can always if if before sporting events you just play this version of You'd it okay we didn't have any <laughs> that's all i want that's all that's all i need we don't need anybody performing live we don't need uh, the middle school, um, the middle school show choir or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need that. Just play this and get on with the game. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's that's my that's my take. So, um, uh, th- and and the version was so good that it charted at number six. Uh, after, it was re-released after September 11th, mm. uh, 2001. It peaked at number six on the Hot 100. We should release Fergie's as a single <laughs> and just see how it does, you know? Like, it was so creative. And and just... it was the first to take the national – she was the first to take the national anthem into the top ten and it go platinum. Nice. Uh, I don't think you can – you can't uh, – can't beat that no (laughs) he can't it is it is the standard for me um and she had performed it uh a couple of times before i guess Um, the stage had just never been that big right uh a lakers nets game in 1988 um a playoff game between the bulls and pistons in 1990 i'm guessing was it a home game for the nets because she's Newark's yes. finest. Yes. <laughs> uh, two months after the Super Bowl performance, she performed it at Welcome Home Heroes with Whitney Houston because this was during the um, Desert Storm. I think. Yeah. Okay. During that era, and then the last time she did it was at the first WNBA All Star Game in 1999. Mm. And some people and George Willis wrote. It was nearly as stirring as when she sang it at the Super Bowl. So yeah, um, for it's like you ever hear how people how people like someone's voice to where oh I could listen to them read the phone book or mm-hmm. sing the phone book. Yeah, Whitney Houston has that kind of voice yeah. for me for sure. All right, so that was my number four. Number three. All right, so 
Number three, I feel like this is this is one of those wedding songs for black folks in the 90s. Um, I believe in you and me from the Preacher's <laughs> Wife soundtrack. I've, I know I have a friend who sung this at his sister's at his sister's wedding. And I have heard it at several weddings as um, as first dances for black folks. It's, it's just, you know, it's one of those songs. And it's, it's been a long time since I've seen this movie. So Me I'm too. not going to pretend that I remember what it's about. I think I just remember, the, like, she falls in love with Denzel Washington, who's an angel. Yeah. And it's just like that. he's supposed to, like, help. Yeah, he's like, supposed to be helping the preacher them. Yeah. To, um, to do something to save the church or to do something big in the community. And he falls in love with her, too. So it's, Dirty a, it's like a catch-22 kind of Dirty Mackin. situation. <laughs> it's Dirty Mackin. But, no, I think this is a beautiful song. Um, of course, produced by David Foster. Um, and now that you mentioned this, I might look into that because I wonder, is this the artist he's worked with the most? Mm. Like he just, you know, it's like he, <laughs> if you ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, I guess I'm sad we just never got a full Whitney Houston album from him. But I mean, then again, like it almost was kind of like all of her albums in the 90s felt like soundtracks. Like I have no clue if she released a proper album. Because she just kept doing soundtracks in the nineties, it felt like. Yeah, with and with this, um, uh, the single version. I think I might be playing the film version, which I guess is totally different. Um, yeah, I'm playing the film version. Let's try the record version. Uh, so that this version that you're hearing. Um, was produced by David Foster, written by David Wolford and Cindy, Cindy, Sandy Linzer, who... Um, he loves the synth, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, you know, I, I didn't know Annie Lennox wrote Step by Step. I don't think I knew that either. the soundtrack. I didn't know she wrote that. Like Annie Lennox from the Eurythmics? Yeah. I didn't know that. Another underrated singer. So... Um, yeah, this is the the re- the single version, the one on the radio, I guess you might say. Uh, this was the only, I guess, the only thing he really worked on on this soundtrack. Everything yeah. else was produced by Whitney Houston and Mervyn Warren. Well, I mean, like we said, it was a very gospel-centric yeah, album. And yeah. as much as I like David Foster, that's just not his bag, so to speak. I mean, like, if, if I think if he had been more involved, it would essentially have been... Um, <laughs> the bodyguard soundtrack part two essentially <laughs> so yeah but i just like this song I, I like hearing it perform live it's just a great song yeah it's, it's just another one of those I, I like to call improving songs key change that's just how whitney houston gets down yeah. um let me see if this uh Performed it, re- took, went to number four in the Hot 100, and I don't know if it won any awards. I don't think it did. Uh, not that I can see. Yeah. Uh, oh, this is actually a cover. Yeah. Okay. I've never heard the original by the Four Tops. I've never, never heard it. Yeah, but... I haven't heard it either. Yeah. Oh, it's from there, an, an album they did in the 80s. I didn't know they were still around the 80s. I didn't know that. <laughs> um, okay, so that is 
number, that's your number three. Mm-hmm. So my number three comes from her debut album, simply titled Whitney Houston. It's called You Give Good Love. I'm so-so on this one. It's not bad, you know. I kind of lumped this in because I, I, I don't know. I guess I, I like the, 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 the sound that it gives off with also considering the songs at the time that came out by Luther Vandross and mm-hmm. um, Alexander O'Neill and Freddie Jackson. Um, Let me some Fred, some um, Alexander O'Neill. It it feels kind of kind of subtle and mm-hmm. a little bit hushed, like it's like it's not overwhelming. Um, and I think that's probably part of why this album did so well. <laughs> yeah, I'm listening to it now, and I just I guess because I haven't listened to it in so long, it's it's it's, it's better than I remember. Uh, I haven't seen the documentary, but I feel I think this may have been uh, one of three songs in which she's thinking about Jermaine Jackson. Oh, you think so? <laughs> she did two songs with him as oh, well. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah. Hmm. Okay. Apparently the lyrics kind of got people going. Like, <laughs> I don't know, man. These I feel like these are pretty harmless. But I mean, it was the '80s and, at the time, and Tipper yeah. Gore was on the warpath. <laughs> <laughs> That's always say like, "Where is D. Snyder? Like, where is D. Snyder when you need him? Where is D? <laughs> like, he's not afraid. He's unafraid." Uh, this was also produced by um, Kashif. I don't. I don't think I recognize him, but I feel like he's come up before. On the podcast, um, I think. Uh, well, when the with the Kenny G episode, okay, that's where I heard him. Okay, okay, and said he was one of those guys that was like, I got to use these synths, man. <laughs> Didn't he have a single they were trying to kind of um, copy a little bit, like that his style? Cause she with Kenny G, yeah, yes. Okay, that's what. Okay, I remember. I remember him. There. That's what I remember from. And <laughs> uh, Lala Cope. Just credited as Lala, it, uh, wrote the song, and um, what else has she written? Nothing else of note, really. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, back then when people were actually paying for music and paying for writers, she probably lived off of this. Like all she needed was this. Like she put her kids through college, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Everything. Oh, she she, uh, she wrote "Secret Lady" for Stephanie Mills. Okay. And um, that's that's the only other song I recognize, honestly. She sang on "The Glow of Love" with Change and Luther Vandross, but that's that's all I know. She went to Juilliard. Good for her. So shout out to Lala Cope, wherever she is. Is she still kicking? Uh, according to this, yes. Still in the league as a. Still in the league, but not not playing. Good luck, retired. <laughs> All right, Ben. Uh, number two. All right. So number two. Um, oh, these are the heavy hitters right here. So um, these, of course, are could be interchangeable. Depends on how I'm feeling. First one up is "I'm Your Baby Tonight." I love this song. Like this song is just so energetic. Um, 
I love the story behind it as well. Of course, it's a, it's a um, Kenny Babyface Edmonds, <laughs> Kenneth Babyface Edmonds, or um, Face, but um, and uh, L.A. Reid composition flew. Um, of course, you know Clive Davis. You know they're trying to find a way to you know in, endear her to urban artists. I mean, urban the urban audience. So you know he hears about these two guys doing their thing down in Atlanta. And since you're down to Atlanta to work with them, and this is one of the songs they came up with, I believe they did the whole album with her. Um, and it's just such a fun song to me. It's just so energetic, so upbeat, just so fun. Like it's, I thought more people liked it than they did. And then I saw that documentary that I can't find again, that um, there was a really, it was like a two or three hour documentary that, that VH1 did just about R&B. And they cited this one, and I didn't realize this was supposed to be the blacker of her songs. But I always wonder why people didn't like this song as much as I did. Like, I just never got it, you know? I'd be like, oh, let's, let's play some Whitney Houston. I'd put this one on, like, no, no, no. Put on um, I Want to Dance with Somebody. And I'm like, but no, but this is better. <laughs> <laughs> so people would, you know, I never understood that. Under, You know, this is one of those songs, like you said, that might have alienated her more pop you know, which that's, you know, the record industry's way of saying her white audience. Because it was, you know, and I remember even asking my sister about it. She said, oh, yeah, we kind of thought Whitney was kind of lame a little bit. And then this well, came out the and time, we thought she was kind of cool. This was the third <laughs> album. Yeah. Right. And I think she was getting that with her getting that criticism. And um, I think at the, because of that, she had control over the over the content. Yeah. Like she produced this album. Um, so while she worked with Dorada Michael Walden, who she worked with before, she added in L.A. Reid and Babyface. Luther Vandross is on a song. Stevie Wonder's on a song. B.B. Mm-hmm. Uh, Winans worked on a song. So I think this was trying to get back to being to be looked at as more urban. Yeah. I mean, the famous scene from the Bobby Brown movie where, you know, he meets her and there she's getting booed by black people. Yeah. Because she's At not black enough. Show. You know, it's so. But I just I just love this song and it just blew my mind that more people didn't like this song. That blew my mind. Um, I, and to this day, I still hear people criticize it. It's just like they're like, you know, it being the weaker of her efforts. I, I love this song. Black people like this album. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You, that is for sure. Yeah. Um. All right. So that is your number two. Mm-hmm. My number two. We've already played. It was I have nothing. That's my favorite from the Bodyguard soundtrack. And since we've already talked about it, <laughs> <laughs> your number one, Ben. All right. So this is um. Oof. Exhale. Shoop shoop. From um. God, what was that? The soundtrack to Waiting to Exhale? The more baby face, huh? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I feel like anyone who, who listens to us regularly should should know by now my adoration of Babyface. Um, that that'd be a, he he'd be a bucket list person to meet or to work with or anything like that. He's just he's just great. I don't care what Bomani says. Um, <laughs> I, I think he's just amazing. Even though like that that one song, it probably might have been one song that turned Bomani off to it, but. The one song where he says, um, was like, I'll give you love, 
I'll buy your clothes. I'll pay yeah. your rent. I'll cook you dinner too. Yeah, he as soon was as I get home from work, simping, <laughs> simping. But they, that, that's face. You know, he's just a lover, man. <laughs> um, yeah, this song is is one of those songs where it's just like, you know, I, I listen to fairly regularly. I love just the way that it was produced, like the the arrangement. It's got one of my favorite bridges of all time. Um, and I just I feel like if this is a damn near perfect song, like I can't think of anything about the song that I really don't like. It's just so well done. Yeah. Um, I was trying to pull up this soundtrack. Uh, I forget, and I don't know because he has it on his um his unplugged. I can't remember who sings it on his unplugged, but it's really well done. Like he sings part of it, and then when it gets really high, a woman comes in and sings it. But yeah. Um. So yeah. So like you said, of course, written by Babyface. This was, this was the number one song on the Hot 100. Um, and I think like it is endured kind of in an underrated way, because the hook is so easy to sing. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I kind of wondered like. Okay, when he wrote this song, and on the soundtrack, he has a song called uh, Wayu with Shantae Moore. I love Shantae Moore. It's gibberish. Really? The song is gibberish. And my mom has this album. I looked in the liner notes, and they have all the lyrics. The gibberish is, like, written out. (laughs) (laughs) Send here proving Monty's point. (laughs) Um. But yeah, I mean, I think it, it this this proves a, a, another instant of, of uh, how great Babyface is, mm-hmm. and um, I think it's a song that it I, Whitney made it look easy. Yeah, the way this song, how this song goes. Yeah, so casually, just you know, yeah. singing it. It's just yeah. It's really. I forget how great this soundtrack is. I know we did an episode on soundtracks. I feel like this was in my list because I, I just I think love. It was on, it's on both. It might have. If it wasn't on yours, it was on mine. I'd have to go back. That was back because we've been doing this for a while. <laughs> <laughs> that was like our fifth episode. I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, Such a lot of great stuff on this on this soundtrack. I'm not going to cry sitting up in my room. Yeah. Um. So. My number one. This is most certainly my most favorite Whitney Houston song ever. I, I don't know if that will change. Um, when she passed, it was the first song I thought about. Mm-hmm. And um, it to me, it's really the last hit song she had. Mm. And that is My Love Is Your Love from the album My Love Is Your Love. So, funny you mentioned this. So you play this song. Um, the wedding I told you about last week that I went to last weekend. So of course, you know you have your your father daughter dance, your um, groom and our father son dance. Not father son dance. Father daughter dance. Father daughter mother son. Mother son. Yeah, they did a daughter mother dance. <laughs> <laughs> Never seen that done before, and it was to this song. <laughs> and I was it was I was like oh wow so was that's creative I'd never seen that done before. It was interesting to watch, and they really were just basically kind of like just j- dancing to this song. Just like, it was, it was, it was I don't know, but it was, I hadn't heard that song in so long. 
um like i said this was um this was really the last hit she had it's from 1999 um i mean if you want to count the reissue of the star spangled banner i i don't honestly um because it was a hit before so <laughs> um and uh this is from the album my love is your love uh the song written and produced by Wyclef Father Clef and uh <laughs> he put, that vi- put that video up it was like um it was like tell me where you're where did your um name come from and he showed the, put the video up <laughs> oh god it makes me laugh every time and uh Jerry Wanda Duplessis uh uh frequent collaborator with Wyclef uh this is credited as being R&B and reggae fusion that's the thing okay <laughs> um so and I, I like that and i was um i i like the the reggae uh spin on it and it was a different it was a different sound for her at the mm-hmm. time um and this was they said this was her last big album because it had some other um i know heartbreak hotel a lot of people liked and it's not right but it's okay Learn from the best came close to making making my list. I, I do like that song. Um, but this is a song that, I mean, yeah, it can be for a, a mother daughter dance uh, type of thing, um, or it can be a um, uh, a song you sing to your child. Yeah. So um, that's why it was a. I, that's why I, I did, like I said, when she passed, that was the first song I thought about. Mm-hmm. I, I, I played it on repeat for for a couple hours. Oh wow! Um, so this was the song uh, was platinum. Uh, it's been covered by Trisha Yearwood. Uh, that was people. back when they would just country artists would just cover anything. This was well. This was in 2016. Okay, uh, I didn't for know the U.S. version of the musical The Passion. Oh. I, was that the same one with Chris Daughtry doing um, that Evanescent song, Wake Me Up? Um, let's see. Uh, well, he did a song, De- yes. Yes, it is. Does it have We Don't Need Another Hero by Seal? Yes. Ah! <laughs> I've listened to those before. <laughs> yes, it is. What's the name of that song? Why can't I think of the name of that song? Bring me to life. Bring me That's, to life. Right. So why can't they name yes. that song? Um, and it was also performed on Glee. I haven't watched Glee in so long. I never watched the last season, so I don't even remember. I haven't seen an episode. Yeah. Of Glee. I've seen. <laughs> I've heard songs from Glee, but I've never seen the full. Yeah. So uh, that will complete our. Because five Whitney Houston songs. I know there's some we left out. I I did not have I Will Always Love You. Um, social media ruined that. <laughs> uh, All the Man That I Need. And it was weird that um, Luther Vandross has a cover of it called All the Women I Need. I think I've heard it. Don't want to. It, I, I cringed a little bit because, <laughs> yeah. At the, he, has a, he has an album. It's a it's a covers album just called Songs because he does a cover of Lionel Richie's Hello and yeah, um, my name is not Susan. That's I that didn't make our list. Where, where do broken hearts go? 
greatest love of all, save it all my love for you, how well I know. Greatest love of all. <laughs> all at once. Um step by step. It's not right, but it's okay. Heartbreak Hotel. I learned from the best. Uh um, Diane Warren. <laughs> I look to you, million dollar bill. Uh, celebrate and his eye was on the sparrow from Sparkle, the remake of Sparkle, which was released after she passed. Um, something in common, the duet with Bobby Brown. We got something <laughs> in common. Hey. Um, so yeah, there. I know there's a lot that people may put on their list, uh, but these are our list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, so yeah, that'll that'll do it for our because five. Uh, we'll get to my Irum of the week, and uh, this is actually the third time <laughs> that this band has been my earworm. Um, and the second song from this particular album. Uh, so a long, long time ago, probably our first ten episodes. Uh, one of my earworms was the song. Um, uh, on the catwalk or wait, what was it called up on the catwalk by simple minds from the album sparkle in the rain. And it was during a period where they wanted to sound more arena Rocky instead Mm -hmm. of a synth pop band. So, uh, another song that I listened to a lot happened. I put it on my, my eighties playlist. It's called speed your love to me. Um, their drummer does not get uh, I don't think he gets the the love that he should. And of course he doesn't because I can't remember his name. I think <laughs> it's Mel Gaynor, but <laughs> I may be wrong. <laughs> um, and he was a guy that wasn't even in the band for a while. Like he he was like a session guy for mm-hmm. some of their songs. But then um, he when we came in the band, that that's when they started having their big run like that. He he's playing the drums on don't you forget about me and, mm-hmm. and so forth and alive and kicking. I love that song. Oof. Um, but uh, on this, I, I like this song. It's, it's very fast. Um, and I, I just like how it's put together. So this is speed your love to me by simple minds. And we'll be right back.
That is Speed Your Love to Me by Simple Minds from their album Sparkle in the Rain. And you can find that along with our other earworms on the BTTYHT Earworms of the Week playlist on Spotify right now, minus Joni Mitchell. <laughs> One day. One day. Um, well, Ben, we... Uh, what should we end the show I with? I learn from the best. I learn from you. Like I said, came close. Diane Warren, David Foster, lethal combination. All right. Let's do that. So we're going to end it with I learned from the best. Uh, that is from uh, your, your My Love is Your Love. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was her last top 40 single. Um, like I said, I think, I think the album's underrated overall. Yeah. But thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, we hope you enjoyed it. And we'll talk to you hopefully sooner than four weeks from now. <laughs> um, thank you for listening. And we're out. Peace. Peace. I would really take you back. Let you back in my heart one more time. Oh, no, no. Did you think I'd still care that there'd be one feeling there? Did you think you could walk back in my life? Oh, so you found you missed the love you threw away. Uh, baby, but you found it out too late, too late. And so you know. Oh, my.